Walt Disney. Yes. Beloved, beloved figure of our of our pop culture. That's how they get you. Yada, yada yada. She eventually causes her own husband to be burned to death. And that makes me so happy on cold nights. It especially ended badly for the idiot Peckerwoods. Have a bottle oh, of wow. scotch. Okay, that's twice that he's mentioned redheads. <laughs> it is un-American to get in the way of our freedom to restrict people's freedoms. That was the point. Okay. Title. Yeah. Okay. But, I know plenty about but, these things. But, I love me some Bobby Drake. Yeah, well, yeah, if that's flame, all we've got, then we're darts. being really lazy. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all bone. You can literally poke a hole in it as soon as someone gets pneumonia. Well, I'm yeah, not as old as you. Well, haha, motherfucker, I got a wizard. a geek history of time where we connect nerdery to the real world my name is ed blaylock i'm a world history and english teacher at the middle school level here in northern california and um i have to confess um that i had a dogberry moment um during our well right after our last recording session uh for those who are not literarily inclined dogberry uh, is is famous uh, from Shakespeare as uh, uh, the the character who who loudly tells everybody else on stage, "Do not forget, sirs, that I am an ass." Um, Dogberry and Verges um, in uh, Much Ado About Nothing, mm-hmm. and uh, my particular Dogberry moment was that during our last recording session, um, at one point, I, I had to type up in the chat, hey, there's some weird noises outside in the hallway. I have to go investigate. So I muted my mic and I went out and there was nothing out in the hallway. And I just, I figured it was the cats. So I came back inside and set out to to rejoining the conversation. And then after our recording session, I went into our bedroom where my wife was you know, waiting up for me. And uh, I mentioned to her that, you know, at, at one point, one of the cats went nuts outside, uh, outside the room where I was recording. And she said, oh, yeah, really? Yeah. Well, why? She says, can you, can you look at the bed sheets? So our linen closet is literally right outside the door to the room where I'm recording. I had not heard the cat. I had heard her. And I went into the bedroom to tell her this story about how the cat was losing their mind out in the hallway <laughs> as I was standing there staring at the bed sheets that she had changed from the closet out in the hallway. So do not forget, sirs, that I am an ass. <laughs> I, I literally looked at her and said, you are so much better than I deserve. And I'm sorry I'm such an idiot. She said, that's okay. I love you anyway. So <laughs> that's 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 a humbling moment for me. Um, how about you? What have you had going on? Man, I had it in my head, and then your story. And I knew that was every time. Happen. I knew it. <laughs> I dug it. 
Uh, well, I'm Damien Harmony. I am a Latin and history teacher here at the high school level in Northern California. Um, and I swear, uh, I will tell you this. I, I, this is one of those moments. I, I think we've talked about this before. I've passed through some sort of membrane where I can absorb the cost of emergencies on mm -hmm. occasion. Yeah. A single dad. Okay. Right. Uh, but I can absorb the cost on on emergencies on occasion uh, because I'm also a unionist. Uh, so on occasion, we get uh, better, better raises. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, I have now entered the phase where I was able to purchase an item uh, ahead of the thing it would replace breaking down completely. Oh shit, man! You leveled up hard. I got ahead of the curve, and I'll be able to absorb the cost of that because I have been saving up for said item. Okay, uh, for the last two years. Um, so I bought a new refrigerator, which will be delivered tomorrow morning. Um, in order to prepare for that, of course, I have not bought groceries. Uh, so the kids and I enjoyed burritos for dinner. Um, but I also had to. Uh, I don't know what everybody else does regarding their um their their the top of their refrigerators but that's the place where medicines go to expire and it's a <laughs> that's it's our bread necropolis box. it's a necropolis for okay. expired medications so i was cleaning off the top right yeah and then i started playing the game of what's the earliest expiration date that i've found up here oh no <laughs> any takers any any bets i'm trying to remember when you moved into that house um Okay. And divorced in 2016 or separated in 2016, effectively divorced. Just it, well, yeah. catch up. I'm I'm gonna say 14. You got it. So yeah. I had some ibuprofen up there that's nine years expired, <laughs> which means I likely <laughs> bought it when I bought the house as a married man. Um, there were also yeah. some vitamin E capsules. Mm. And I remember when I bought those because I cut my foot on a garbage can and it didn't heal for a while. So I started getting vitamin E um, in the hopes. Okay. Right? All right. Yeah. Those capsules are gelatin. So I was just, I didn't even bother trying to rattle it. I just oh, tossed it in the trash. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's best that you did. Oh my yeah. God. There was so much stuff up there to the point where, and I told the kids, you do not touch everything that's on this counter right now because these are drugs um, that I don't want you messing with. <laughs> it's just ibuprofen and shit like that. Right. Yeah. Well, and, but yeah. And if it expired only three years ago, I'm keeping it. Um, I just bought a fridge. I can't afford it. Um, but it's been kept relatively cool. I, I think, you know, is who, you know, I'm the only one that takes that ibuprofen. It'll be fine. Um, but uh, they, they still like were stunned to find out that there's stuff there that like is pre them walking. Uh, like it was bought before they were existing um that was yeah. bought when like marvel ultimate alliance the first one came out like that old yeah so so yeah i had a, yeah. a little weird trip down memory lane i guess um of I a sort. Out, you remember yeah remember when i cleaned out the pantry yeah a while back and i found yeah. like you know shredded coconut from from the uh obama administration <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah. So that's what wow. I've got going on. Okay. Yeah. So uh I noticed that there are two extra faces in the chat. 
Yes, um, there are. And uh, I remember that happened last time as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, these these appear to be your people. So I will yeah. allow <laughs> you to take over the reins here. Well, you know, I, I I tossed out into the ether that I was doing an episode on on fanfic and they just spontaneously showed up in my feed Very with nice. all the opinions. Um and <laughs> so uh, the, the good news is that they're both uh, uh, wonderful people and uh, experts uh, in this because they are they are uh, have been very very deeply involved uh, in in the fanfic community mm-hmm. uh, and uh, going from left to right across my screen as I see them right now. Uh, the first of them is uh, Sean, uh, who is himself an award winning uh, fanfic author. Um, uh, from from a while ago uh we will have to have to admit uh and uh sean go ahead and introduce yourself to the people hello there sean and uh fanfic writer for uh let's see x files uh quantum leap i'm missing harry potter and one more alien nation well aliens oh so uh, uh, that was an amazing guess, though. Thanks. Sledgehammer. Ooh, I like what you think. <laughs> Head of the class. Okay, I, I like what you think. Who's class. the boss? Now I'm starting to get scared. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Monday then... Night Football. Mm-hmm. Intrigued. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Kinky. <laughs> <laughs> uh and uh, then uh, on on the farthest right on on my screen is a friend of the show and also very good friend of mine, Tessa, uh, who uh, has been a beta reader uh, and uh, fan artist in a number of different uh, genres, uh, Tessa or not genres, fandoms, I should say. Uh, Tessa, please jump in and, and let us let us know about you. God, the only thing I want to say after you made the kinky comment is, hi, yeah. I'm Tessa. I draw porn on the internet, um, <laughs> which isn't fair. a lie. Um, yeah, so hi. I uh, am a prolific fan artist. I have done art for various fandoms since high school. Um, I've been a beta reader and a collaborator with uh, other fic writers. Um, I don't write, but I'm always happy to bounce ideas off. Um, and most recently, um, I am a prolific creator in the carry on fandom. Um, and I also uh, have done work for a new anime that came out called Buddy Daddies. I've also done work in um, Supernatural, the cursed fandom. And you know, I the time, but the, uh, yeah. And I forgot about the last one, which was the one from high school, which I will actually be talking about in this episode, uh, the okay. fake fandom, which I'm pretty sure died um, in the United States, at least back in 2005. <laughs> Not stopping me, though. Okay. I got to ask, cool. ask, as as someone who has probably the most recently finished uh, watching all of the Supernatural episodes, why is it considered <laughs> the cursed fandom? Um, because everything terrible mm-hmm. um, in fanfic uh, in has there. pretty much gotcha. come out of the supernatural fandom. We have a oh, gift wow. for everything. 
and every bullshit shenanigan that has ever occurred on Tumblr ever can be directly traced back to the supernatural. So it's like the Star Wars of of fanfics. If it's Star like, Wars was only the Christmas special. Okay, because I'm just thinking like Star Wars fans are the worst fans. They've driven at least three people to suicidal ideation who were in the fucking movies. Oh, yeah, no, we're not the worst fans. In fact, there's a huge community and it's very beautiful. Okay. Um, Really great activism, lots of things. It's just the things that come out of people's minds who watch this show. It's like if a generational curse came to you in a really cute kitten. Okay. Okay. I'm that's getting me. ideas that's for analogy, to be honest. I don't think it would upset you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> no. I, uh... You just have to be a, a very specific sort of depraved to thrive okay. in the supernatural fandom. Okay. okay. And you've both Fair. mentioned this thing, um, beta readers. I assume you mm. are people who can tell the future by divining uh, what Japanese fighting fish are doing. <laughs> that would be great yeah. so beta reader mm-hmm. uh comes from the idea of a uh beta tester so someone who uh-huh. you know goes through something before it is published or released to the general public gotcha. um and so the idea in fanfic um and also fan art there are fan art betas um you go over the content that someone has created either as like an editor or someone to give feedback um, okay. Or look for like continuity, whatever, and you beta read, which also brings gotcha. me to one of my favorite tags that you'll hear me reference um, at some point during this series, which is the no beta, we die like fill in the blank, um, which is a phenomenon that has come out of people who create content without a beta reader, um, which every fandom has mm-hmm. some character that has died and is well known for dying. Um, um. And hilariously, in the new anime that i've been doing the work for I, they came up with like four so fast it was hilarious um but it becomes no beta we die like insert your fandom's dead character here so like tasha in Yar. supernatural you could have done i don't know no beta we die like literally anyone in the show right. um <laughs> no beta we die like serious black right yeah. We die like Tasha Yar. Think we die like, I, yeah. they say, the one in the carry on fandom is no beta. We die like the mage. I mean, it's just, it's great. We okay. die like so and so's dad. Yeah. So no beta. Okay. okay. Gotcha. No and, and why why for beta rather than the editor is going back to the kind of uh, standalone weirdos doing this on their own thing. Uh, what you're asking people to do varies wildly. So some, sometimes a beta reader is acting like an editor and okay. uh, providing feedback on content, providing feedback on uh, tone and uh, voice. Sometimes they're like, I, I just want you to make sure that I, I uh, have got there and there correct. Okay. That makes so, sense. Now, Ed, somebody also used the word tag. Um, and I assume this is You're what it. happens as you get older and you get that ball of skin um, and you can use just nail clippers. Hanging off the end of your fandom. <laughs> and right. You have to exactly. Yeah. Clip that nail off. Clippers, yeah. And it burns be... for like 10 seconds and then you're fine. You might have a spot of blood. That's all. So the tagging system is a mm-hmm. newer system that has come out um, as fan content has developed. Um, so previously there were no fan tags, mm-hmm. no tagging system at all. So you maybe got like a synopsis like a back of a book blurb 
where you kind of sort of knew what you were getting into, um, which started to evolve into a rating system, which we'll talk about uh, based on citrus. Um, it, we'll get into it. Okay. And uh, basically like a, you know, like general like G whatever rating um, until right. you get to the AO3, which is archive of our own, which is the most comprehensive and incredible um, kind of archive for this type of work where you can tag all aspects of content, including um, what hadn't been done before, kink very specifically, um, exactly what will be in the content, exactly what is either depicted in the art or written in the fic, um, mm. any kind of triggering content. Um, it can have special tagging called archive warnings where for some okay. pretty serious stuff, and then people can filter content so that they don't have it appear for them when they're logged in. So it's, it's um, spoilers. Like you, oh, you yes. Can, you can tag for spoilers as you well. You can tag for spoilers as well. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's it's a more reasonable and sensible version of what the MPAA tried to do. Yes. Okay. If they were yeah. saying reasonable. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right, and so, I will interrupt with questions of other terms as they pop up because there are, okay. I think, two or three more that I I couldn't quite intuit. And if I can't, then I know at, at least one other reader or listener. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And we'll we'll talk about like we, we'll talk about like some of the specific tags oh, sure. and things like that okay. too because they come up and. Yeah. So when we last left our heroes, uh, we were. Ending the uh, the the gold cold pressed latinum era of Star Trek fanfic with uh, it sounded like that was like from the seventies into the eighties if I'm getting the chronology roughly correct seventy nine seventy nine all right so it's nineteen eighty uh, Thatcher's in power in Great Britain uh, Ronnie Reagan. Uh, is on his way to the White House. A um, rabbit has attacked the president. Yes, a rabbit has attacked the sitting president of the United States. I'm sorry. There's a contractual <laughs> part of my job in this podcast <laughs> is that every eight episodes, I have to mention the swamp rabbit attacking Jimmy Carter. I still can't believe that that's not fanfic. <laughs> <laughs> Fundamentally, yeah. it it kind of should be. Right. But yeah. So I'm um, trying to think what else we have going on. In 1980, uh, we have an Olympics going on uh, that uh, the United States sat out. Yeah, we boycotted. Um, and Which means Russia's in Afghanistan. Yes. And I think there's other lyrics by Billy Joel. By Billy Joel. Start the fire. Sorry, it was like immediate. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Wheel of Fortune, Sally Ride, Heavy Metal Suicide. That's still Born, that's yes, Born crack, gets, eight yeah. crack, eight's crack, Bernie gets, yeah, epidemics on the shore, China's on the shore, but that's later. That's that's yeah. forward. That's still yeah. a verse or two ahead of us. I don't know. I don't know. I got lost. But anyway, uh, so it's 1980. Uh, technologically speaking, we are at um, not let's quite see. at home computer yet. Not quite. Not We're quite. almost there. We're yeah. about two home or three business computer. Yes. Yes. Yeah, um, uh, those those are starting to get marketed. Yeah. Um, let's see. Atari consoles are um, still not. I think not, you got ColecoVision's more. Yeah. Yeah. And 
let's see I'm trying to think what else uh relevant to what we're talking about we're still we're, we are still dealing with about a three cents per page photocopy rate cost uh opportunity cost for photocopying mm-hmm. and um at this point in 80 we are starting to see the beginning of video recording but it has not hit the mainstream yet right i will point out that uh pat patterson is still the intercontinental champion in the wwf because contractually yeah yeah because contractually that's every episode yeah yeah Yeah. uh and Um, uh, bob backland is still uh the champion um in wwf right yeah so, okay. Yeah. So we are we are now entering into this new decade. Um, it is not yet morning in America, but it's about to be. Mm-hmm. And what do we have going on in the the world of this kind of alternate or not alternate? This I don't know supplemental. I'm trying to think what a good word would be for it. This parallel uh, uh, fandom universe. What what do we have going on within the movement? Well, good news, bad news. Uh, the good news is, uh, well, you don't have to hear about Morgan America. Bad news is uh, we're going to now uh, take a, a brief uh, detour, an intermission, intermezzo. Uh, and um, I know, Damien, you are the, the wrestler aficionado. Uh, how's your sumo? Um, not as strong until a Samoan gets tagged as a Japanese fellow named Yokozuna, um, who had previously been Kokina Clutch uh, in the AWA, uh, Rodney Aoki, uh, who is the cousin of uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Uh, So that doesn't happen until the early 1990s. Mm -hmm. Um, So unfortunately, there's not much more sumo that I could bring to the table. Sorry. That is literally a ton more than I was expecting. Only I'm still pressed. Closer to half a ton. Um, okay. He was a quarter ton when he was champion. The uh, guy. He actually guy. he ended up having to go to a uh, an intervention specialist, like a, a weight loss camp, um, because his health was getting out of control. He he loved Ooh. eating turkey butts uh, dipped in mayonnaise. And turkey butts. Yeah. So apparently the Pope's nose, I think, um, that part, <laughs> um, dipped in mayonnaise. And he would eat those deep fried, um, and uh, and he he ended up his his weight went from five hundreds where he could really move around really well to uh, close to seven hundred uh, pounds. He was not doing well, and so they put him in a like it, the the term back then was called a fat farm. It's a weight loss clinic um, in I want to say North Carolina, and I think he and Vader, uh, Big Van Vader, the first guy to do a moonsault. Mm. Um, first, uh, big man to do moonsault at least. Um, and the two of them actually, uh, found a way to gain weight while there. And it's because they were sneaking <laughs> out for KFC. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It was sad. It was really sad. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel, I feel bad for laughing, but it's just, it's absurd. It's hilarious. That story. I can't. Okay. Tessa wow. just looked up turkey butts. I think yeah. I can no, imagine. I just... <laughs> I just had the cat. Oh. Okay. All right. So that's what so, I know of sumo. I mean, I know gotcha. the rules of sumo. I've shown the kids that kind of stuff. 
I know that the main guy is called the U- Yokozuna. He is like the 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 Num- champion number one. Sumo. Yeah, yeah, number one national champion in Japan. Yeah, I can name exactly three people who have done sumo. The the most recent of which being Aki Bono, and the mm-hmm. other two having been guys who went into professional wrestling. So, oh, yeah, yeah. very cool. Mm-hmm. So I was going to jump over to Japan, and mm-hmm. I know that uh, Tessa here has a lot to bring to the party when it comes mm-hmm. to uh, uh, manga doujinshi uh, et al. And yes, I did just kind of cross a couple languages. Sorry. Uh, okay. First things first, we're talking about uh, manga, which is the Japanese word for graphic novel. It's a little bit inaccurate, but it literally translates to whimsical pictures. And it's the same root word as manhwa in Chinese. If you, you'll see this, perhaps similar kind of uh, creations out of China, and they're called ban- manhwa. Um, also Korea. Also Korea, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, so talking about some law, we mentioned some of the copyright laws. This is a good time to bring up the, uh, as we're heading backwards in time, the Meiji period was uh, 1868 to 1912. That was a uh, time that Jap- uh, Japan introduced, introduced uh, Shinkokukuzai. Shinkokuzai. Wow, that one came out poorly. Um, at the time, it was Mizukara Tsugeru Womate, which means to inform personally. But it was the, the same kanji is used for Mizukara Tsugeru Womate as Shinkokuzai. And uh, it is a category of offense that cannot be prosecuted without complaint by the victim. And that was their definition of what copyright law was in Japan at the time. In other words, it's your product, but that only really matters if you take offense to what someone else is doing with it. In uh, America, we would call that you have to have standing. Um, it's a little bit more than standing. Likely so. But I was just thinking a uh, yeah. or uh, an analog would be. Yeah, well, uh, a- analog would be um, any any circumstance in which the victim has to be the one that charges it. So like many criminal offenses, for example, um, the victim does not need to actually say, no, I'm pressing charges. Right, but there the are many has an overriding interest. Yeah, but there are many circumstances. Uh, there's all kinds of civil regulations, for example, right. that don't get enforced until somebody who has standing, because standing is a technical legal term, somebody who has standing, who has been damaged, says, "Okay, no, right. I want you to nail this bastard." Right, and so it, yeah, uh, under English under English law, that's that's uh, uh, we, we tend to consider criminal charges to be something that is brought by the state. Yeah. Uh, if you go to this is Japanese, but it's also the same thing that you would see in uh, many of the uh, German-derived areas. So both you know Germany, Denmark, etc., et have a similar set of laws where uh, lesser offenses that are including things like property crimes um, are things the police can't pursue unless there is a complainant. Yeah. Uh, and it it is kind of associating all these cultures with some type of um, social sense that, that uh, uh, it isn't the government saying how things are supposed to operate, but how we say things are going to operate. And so uh, if, I, if, if I permit Tessa to uh, play with a, a creation of mine and go do something wacky with it, uh, that doesn't diminish my ownership of it in any fashion. That's just okay. me permitting something. Uh, whereas here, oh, if you don't 
uh, zealously guard your rights, they disappear, evaporate. Right. It's kind of an odd thing. Yeah. Um, it's really important too because the Shinko Kazai is really, really vital for how these fan comics develop in Japan and how they are today. Because, for example, like I've been working in the blanks of these novels where fan writers are you know writing thick um to fill in these blanks and fan artists are doing it however our zine we can't do anything to like legally unless we had permission from the author which she has basically said like i can't actually give it my publisher has to give it we can't do anything to get any kind of type of monetary gain and it's too hard to legally make sure that you're only recouping your costs whereas in japan under the shinkokuzai you can literally do like whatever as long as you can show that it is not actually diminishing the profit of the person who created it or damaging their reputation like you can pretty much get away with anything which is why doujinshi is just like this huge phenomenon um in japan and why you see them created and sold on so many platforms like it's just they're, they're totally different it, it is kind of the, the the background legal structure and the background art structure is completely different and it leads to something to, to a a culture that, that it, of of art creation that is completely different and quite frankly very cool um yeah and i think it also is um I'd have to look into it more, but I know that there are, because like manga artists, they'll be contracted through like a magazine or whoever, where they do their serial publishing. But then what they'll do is they'll create doujinshi on the side with their own characters that are their self-published stories that now, happen outside of it. I'm going to jump in is, here. Yeah, go for it. She mentioned a couple times doujinshi and the definite mm -hmm. doujinshi is specifically uh, means... Yes, you've done it yourself. And so mm -hmm. pretty much all fanzines would be considered doujinshi, mm -hmm. uh, art books. But to give you an idea of how far back this goes, back in 1814, uh, Hokusai, as in, you know, 12 Youth Mount Fuji, Hokusai, published his first of 15 manga volumes. Uh, they were all doujinshi. He, he self-published because, well, he could. Um, and... I think you probably Tess want to jump in on on the the um, laws of around eighteen twelve eighteen fourteen period because that's interesting. Yeah, um, and so what we started to see, um, and this is from the, the LGBTQ lens. Um, previously, in Japanese art, you would see a lot of same sex interactions, um, eroticism, and romantic interactions. Um, all over the place like it was just very common in the art it was uh, i can't remember the name for the theme but it was it was like they specifically have names that categorize that type of art that you would see um and it was all over the place in around 1812 Shudo and see, yeah and then in 1812 we started to see kind of like a negative lens start to be put on same sex um relationships and they started to produce anti-sodomy laws and they started to have a more negative attitude towards these types of relationships and interactions, um, which caused the medium to shift away from these themes um, mm. because it would be treated differently. And to this day, there are still specific censorship laws um, that dictate kind of how the stuff is shown 
um, in animation and things like that. But they, um, you started to see it like really go away and it didn't really start to come back into published work until about 19, I think it was like 76, 19. And this is specifically Japan. This is not. This is specifically Japan. They had same sex relationships, same sex interaction, pretty prevalently, including androgyny and and gender Mm -hmm. stereotyping, really commonly, um, including in theater and things like that. And then in the early 1800s, it started to be negatively seen. Um, Oh, sorry. Yeah. So 1969 is the first time that we start seeing gay relationship gay protagonists come back into this published media although if we, before we jump 100 years i was going to point out 1853 yeah. mm-hmm. ed this i know i know well, you're gonna yeah me. uh that's that's perry showing up uh in in the harbor and saying so you're gonna open up to us or we're gonna blow the shit out of your capital there's mm-hmm. something deeply wrong with calling uh, with someone creating something called the black fleet that's, well, okay. Well, it's like it's the he was standing star. at the top of it going, could I be any more evil? Because it's <laughs> Commodore Matthew Perry. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Nice. yeah. Mm. Ow. That, that fucking hurts. How you doing? Uh, <laughs> oh, that was so, his bosun's mate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> bosun's mate, Joey Tribbiani. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's okay. I'm, I'm trying to, because I find it interesting that that legislation happened in 1812. We don't see contact with the West until uh, 35 or 53, no. sorry, 53. Uh, well, um, no, we, we see contact with the West preceding the 1600s. Remember? Well, said okay. They, yes. They I said Portuguese can only go here. Yeah, I should, yeah. I mm-hmm. should clarify. And it wasn't actually Portuguese. The only ones they were allowing into the country were the Dutch Right, because the Protestants see Prades didn't send Jesuits to fuck with people. Right, um, no one likes Jesuits being there. Yeah, well, yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, so, I can't, I can't argue. But I'm, I'm trying in in the background here as as you're talking about that. I'm trying to figure out what the what the historical context within Japan would have been it for had, them like, to make it started. Like that. Yeah, so it started a little bit, but you're right. The main, so the first anti-sodomy laws really came out in the 1860s, but there had started to be a reduction in like it appearing. But yeah, once the West came in, that's when there was like a big shift with anti-sodomy laws. I'm going to I'm going to challenge that just a little bit, too. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's the influence of the West so much as it is, because we see this every time, an empire that sees itself in decline will aim at marginalized groups first, and they will typically go for either the handicapped or the uh, queer communities first, because they are a visible minority that people can other quickly. And Um, and I'm going to quote a couple of... uh, of, um... Uh, of historians I really like uh, who who did uh, some really great work uh, with their podcast. It's uh, called a, a geek history of time. I recommend any of your listeners want to uh, start listening to that. I, I encourage uh, these, these two geniuses did a bit about uh, the cartoonish hyper masculinity of eighties uh, American fiction. 
and what you know and, and asking the question why why this weird hyper masculine bullshit and i look at the um the basically the the ending of the my g period everything leading up to you know 1800s up to 1912 and see basically america in the 80s Hmm. I'm tough. I'm bad. I'm powerful. I'm awesome. I'm getting my butt kicked. Everybody's walking all over me. I don't I'm feel flailing. strong. <laughs> I'm flailing. Uh, and all of a sudden, we can't have any art that suggests we're anything other than uh, bare-chested uh, he-man. Hyper-virile he-man. Hyper yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Back yeah. hair has back hair. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me okay. I'm the best you've ever had now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Testosterone is the punchline. Yes. Right. Testosterone is always a punchline. Um, so wait, so this, so we're seeing, we're seeing manga existing in Japan as early as when again? Uh, all going all the way, depending on how you define it. Sure. I'm, I'm thinking uh, comic books, right? Okay. So yeah. Not uh, just whimsical pictures, but comics. Yeah. The, 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 we're talking the 1600s. Jesus. Cause like yeah. the, the adventures of Mr. Obadiah Old Buck, as you can remember from episode one of of <laughs> a Geek History of Time, uh, came out in 1842, and that was the oh. first American comic book. Here's here's one of the things I'm going to point out. Uh, uh -huh. Part of the reason that you had um, essentially comic books, uh, mm -hmm. manga as a as a medium, so much earlier in mm -hmm. Japan than in, in than here in the west is uh generally speaking literacy rates in japan were significantly higher historically yeah earlier um and so and also a lot of japan's society um i don't want to say they were more urbanized but their urban centers had a denser population so there was a greater market for right that and, medium yeah that and kanji fun. itself kind of forced mm -hmm. it uh we're we write using the roman character set which is mm -hmm. uh squiggles that mean sounds and that's mm -hmm. cool mm -hmm. but uh you go to other parts of the planet and the writing is ideographic that is a here is a set of squiggles they're much more complicated and this set of squiggles in a little area equals an entire word mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um so you can't look at it and determine pronunciation from any kind of rules it's just memorize this this squiggle and right. one set of squiggles yeah. per word uh and that means that you had better if you would like to um uh put something in writing either you've got good penmanship or um uh brush brushmanship uh brush personship uh or you had best uh be really good with your print techniques and gotcha. so uh the lithography was really pretty um advanced you look at what uh, hokusai was doing and it was like painting onto the stone to create like blends of color i mean truly beautiful work but all that comes from the root of if you don't do really excellent etching and really excellent clean printing no one can read this it, it like, will honestly, be nonsense oh gosh Hiragana, which is the phonetic system didn't even like come until like the 1900s Hundreds. I don't even remember. It was a long. It's going to be post Meiji, basically, or yeah, it comes um, later. 
it, gotcha. it may the, the the birth of it may have been associated with Meiji right uh, yeah. as a modernization attempt because you know we we immediately now have to figure out how we're going to catch up with everybody who's and having katakana as well and the ability to romanize that, right. I was gonna say that's that's what you really see post Meiji is is the rise of katakana not katakana. as not 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 to be used as it had originally been the poor person's uh, language, so that uh, hiragana was the uh, uh, script that was utilized for phonetics, uh, but it was uh, very curved characters that you could do with brush strokes. Katakana was the exact same stuff, but very simplified, angular. simplified and angular because you were going to be a poor person using a smudge stick, you know, a, a stick that's been burnt down to charcoal, and 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 you're you're scratching it, so you can't mm -hmm. do a curve, uh, and come. Come the Meiji period, the the uh, now we're dealing with all the uh, gaijin, all the all the uh, Europeans. Uh, they said, "Okay, um, this is no longer for use by poor Japanese people. This is how we're going to spell any loan words we're picking up from uh, from all, all of the uh, foreigners, mm -hmm. so that everybody can tell that this is a foreign word. It's not really one of ours." Yeah, and um, it's really interesting when you're reading it too to see oh, a yeah. shift and know automatically like, oh, this is not a Japanese word. Yeah, um, it actually makes it a little bit easier when you're trying to figure out what the heck something means. Mm -hmm. You go, oh, that's coffee. <laughs> yeah, cool. Right. Um, but they'll do it too. Like the other thing too is that it makes sense that they would have this way of telling stories through graphics because when you look at like the old like prints and scrolls that were created, right? Like there's so much storytelling in one image right. like one image of like the like there'll be like a woman you know sitting on her like mat and she'll have like writing utensils in front of her and there's a cat who is clearly walked through the ink and the cat is leaving paw prints and it tells a story and it's so sure like really unique to like what they were creating yeah it's it really, really makes sense with that yeah like it, 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 we're just doing storytelling Right. It's like they say, a picture is worth 372 brush strokes. <laughs> Not even mad about that one. No. Not no. even mad. Well, but yeah, they I... were. They're really skilled pictorial storytellers. Okay. They're artists. And the monks, too, like when they were doing their poems, when they mm -hmm. would write these poem scrolls, they would do illustrations that help explain what they were talking about. So, you know. Yes. Okay. Natural so, progression. Sure. We get into the twenty to nineteen twenty six, which is the beginning of the Showa period, which is Emperor Hirohito. What in the West is referred to as Emperor Hirohito. Right. Um, here's another shift rightward in the culture. Uh, they hadn't really separated public and private social matters, and depended loyalty in all spheres of society. Here's the thing: that meant that any ideological shift, any proposals for reforms, was review was viewed by not just the government, but by other parts of the society, all, all the what we call bourgeoisie, as an existential threat to Japan itself. Um, and so there was a lot of leftist movements at the time, uh, pre-World War II. There were a lot of uh, demands for reform, for um, uh, uh, social reform, for economic reform, and it it triggered uh, what's called the end of the Taisho democracy, and they went to the opposite direction into ultranationalist totalitarianism. Right, and uh, things that we start seeing happening are uh, they had the Showa financial, uh, financial panic, 
which then actually kind of preceded the Great Depression. And then the Great Depression hits and magnifies it. And this is when Zaibatsus or large um, organized uh, groups of private companies mm-hmm. that uh, basically what over here we just say, oh, that is an illegal monopoly. But I was gonna say, those are trusts. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, vertically, vertically integrated uh, industrial uh, uh, conglomerates. When you look at uh, uh, cyberpunk and they say the bad guys, they mean mm-hmm. Zaibatsus. I mean, yeah. right. And uh, Zaibatsus take over Japanese banking completely. They just seize the banks. Yeah. Um, there's actually uh, uh, a march on uh, 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 of the military on the emperor. Well, actually, on the government, uh, they had a, a a a full-on armed rebellion that the the uh, uh, emperor had to step in and stop. And uh, the result of that is is basically the the you know the kickoff to World War II as far as um, the Pacific Theater really is kind of concerned. And that's that's where the Black Dragon Society um, shows up as a as a quasi official. Uh, uh, cabal uh, within government and industry uh, driving the the decisions that led to as you say Japan enter- Japan actively entering war right so now we have got the war and it ends in you know ludicrous amounts of destruction obviously there's two atomic weapons utilized which are uh, heretofore unseen, but also, quite frankly, even more violence committed with uh, firebombing against cities that are predominantly made out of wood and paper. So it, it's just... Right. Um, and um, we t- I don't remember, I don't have the episode uh, number ready, but... Uh, 13 back, through 15. Thank you. Uh, we talked about this uh, when I talked about the giant robot genre. Yes. Um, and and as the direct inspiration for much of the much oh, of I'm that sorry. genre. That's that's episode uh, nineteen. I was oh. thinking about BattleTech and the Yellow Peril. Are you talking? Well, well yeah, that's yeah. also there, right? You're referencing like the fact that like you would have like these giant kaiju, like giant monsters that came from nuclear from the radiation. Ocean. Yeah, yeah from the Western Ocean. And yeah. instead yeah. of having Superman who is exposed to radiation and has superpowers, you instead find monsters that are superpowered for destruction. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting well, how that happened. Or, mm, you know, or, or multiple generations of, of uh, stories where uh, the mil- various militaries are building ever more impressive doomsday weapons that are that that, that who, whose approach is seen throughout the entire story, and when they arrive, uh, shockingly, it does not go well. Yeah. We also yeah. have episode sixteen yeah. where we talk about the nuclear family uh, through the Fantastic yeah. Four, specifically using nuclearization. Uh, although uh, Superman himself, we haven't really covered, but uh, Superman is much more the Jewish immigrant experience to the United States, uh, as it was written by two Jewish immigrants two to Jewish. the United States. Yep, and uh, yeah. and they were subverting the Ubermensch mentality mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Germany at the time. Also, one of them, right. his dad died by being shot uh, in a convenience store robbery, so it would make sense that Superman and nobody we called him that. Mary Sue. Hmm. No. But anyway, so uh, well, yeah. that's because he clearly had external genitalia. I oh, mean, come on now. Yeah. 
So, so we now get to yeah, all of this, mm-hmm. and the at post war we have manga now at post war carries on a lot of the pre warm pre my G stuff. Only now we're starting to see some more changes. Disney cartoons are being shown, so that's impacting how they're drawing faces, eyes, that kind of thing, and bringing genre they're they're bringing american comic books and those are genre comic books they're uh, at the time things like westerns gangster stories and superheroes and to be honest those have a massive impact and the superheroes are not the ones that get that that get the biggest impact it's actually the others that, that really land hard um american occupation ends in 52 and that's when astro boy uh debuts as well uh, in manga um and between 52 and 69 uh the manga market is broken into two kind of categories shonen and shoujo yeah and they're really um they become really distinct and i'm going to come at this from the other this my artist lens coming in but the development of these two categories also started to dictate how artists were expected to draw based on the story that they are telling and that certain stories are told with certain art styles um, to be consumed by a certain audience um, and that there wasn't really a subversion, but that's important because I'm going to come back to that later. And, and even, even that. issues of eye shape and, and I mean, and, mm-hmm. and, and angularity of eyes, it's, it's very... Shading, crossing, the heaviness of the line, um, the type of tonal paper, uh, screen tone that they would use, which is like a um, plastic... Um, film that uses to like create gray space um, how dense and heavy those dots were that created those tones um, really vary based on if it's shoujo or shonen shoujo is for women and girls shonen is for boys and men and shonen tended to be talking about action adventure stories slapstick humor honor and much shock sex Whereas shoujo stories tended towards romance, emotionally intense plots, self-realization and self-actualization, which are some interesting things to see. Mm-hmm. So you actually started seeing a lot earlier in shoujo stories, inner lives that you didn't see for quite a lot longer in the sh- in the shoujo, uh, 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 in the shonen uh, side of side of things. Uh, just, six- that sounds very familiar to how fan fiction goes. What? Whoa! Um, tying that back explicitly in case anybody missed that, because I know. Uh, thank you for that. Yeah, I'm here for Keeps you. the thread for people. Yeah, I, I, I do, I do uh, uh, get tangled up in the red thread. <laughs> no, you're good. And, uh, thank you. Uh, so, '69, we get the Year 24 group of female artists. The Year 24 group was born in '49, which is a reference to the fact that Japan still maintains a two sets of calendar systems. One is the uh, the calendar we're using. I, Gregorian, is it, I believe? Or is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, and the other one, the Japanese calendar, is based upon the emperor. So um, the Showa emperor, uh, 1949, was the 24th year of his rule. So it was Showa 24. Right. Uh, the year 24 group was a group of female, all female artists who were developing shoujo. And they developed a ton of these subgenres, uh, and one of them's Josai, uh, ladies' comics, which are effectively them taking manga that these people had now grown up with, mm-hmm. and 
evolving them into adult stories with adult not meaning gratuitous sex and gratuitous violence, but it meaning stories that apply to adults <laughs> in their case. It was, it was uh, um, very much in 1969, you're seeing what, you're, what you'd then be seeing in more like 1999 over here um, in that. Uh, also, this is the point at which fire comes out. Yeah, and Fire is a really important novel because it depicts gay male protagonists specifically focusing on the music scene, um, the glam rock scene that we were seeing in the UK and the United States. And there was like heavy references from like David Bowie, but this is created by a female artist mm. using actually more shonen driven style um, to create this novel with a gay protagonist so now you have a homosexual character mm -hmm. who is a front line for the story and it was actually fairly well received it's it's pretty interesting it's also the same point that we see uh josai the, the the ladies comics being joined by the male equivalents now the, the sign-in and saijin uh, mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. please note um i'm hesitant to say that they follow in the same category of being uh, actually stories for adults so much as adult rated stories uh, it's uh, mm -hmm. still a lot more sex and violence um, somehow that always seems to happen but last time around we talked about 1970 being the year of the uh, Xerox improvements Watershed, as it were Yep, and yeah. we have the same thing happen here with Dojinshi, which are the self-published manga. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, mimeographs weren't really used. I mean, you, you couldn't mimeograph, uh, you know, all the art. You've, you've, you have been, in, uh, as, as teachers, you know, you've attempted to mimeograph things. If there's any art on it, it is obliterated by the mimeograph process. If there are details, they're yeah. blotted. And so kanji, the... Characters are not going to get reproduced in the mimeograph. The art's not going to be reproduced. So there's really nothing you can do about that. Uh, so up until 1970, really, any doujinshi were going to be printed the traditional way, going to be printed lithograph. So they were very expensive. And to this day, if you are a collector and you've got the pre-70s doujinshi, they're like, you've, you've struck gold. Mm -hmm. Um after 70, all of a sudden you start seeing people selling doujinshi because they can they can go ahead and draw it, they can print it, they can bind it, they can they can sell this. And the rules of Shinkokuzai indicate that as long as you are not trampling on offending the original creator, they're kind of somewhat obligated to honor the fact that you're creating something. Uh, the time you do see them actually, someone actually uh, come after anybody for creating Dojinshi, um, they were selling um, uh, uh, underage pornography in 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 a store, and they said, "Yeah, no, that one, that one gets to go." <laughs> uh, and they Fuck that guy in right. particular. That one there. Yep. That one right there. Yes. Uh, Straight so, to hell. So no. that was that was the line. Um, but so yeah, and this is kind of an interesting thing. Um, you start seeing them; they are being sold. This is because here the, the copyright rules are different, um, and so these are available for sale. Um, 1975, 
Mm-hmm. Takahashi Rumiko begins publishing Dojinshi at 18. Uh, Takahashi Rumiko was uh, born in Nagata, Japan in 1957 and is basically a god amongst artists. Uh, jumping to the end of, you know, through current day, I'll just let you know, she's been inducted to the Eisner Hall of Fame, nominated three times before that. She won the Grand Prix de la Ville, uh, uh, de, la Ville de Angoulême. Angoulême. Oh, French. Angoulême. Angoulême. Thank you. I'm glad somebody here speaks French. It's not me. Uh, becoming the second woman and the second young artist to do so. She was awarded the Honshu Medal of Honor uh, in Japan with purple ribbon and the Harvey Awards uh, Hall of Fame for her body of work over the years, uh, aside from separate individual awards for in various individual works uh, ranging from uh, 1975 to Today she's still uh, quite active. Her shit is very good. She is very good at what she does. She's very good at telling stories. She's very good at conveying emotion and creating really empathetic characters. She does lean lines. She breaks gender expectations and explores gender identity. She literally, literally uh combines modern japan culture and slams it together with ancient japanese cultures like li- literally shoves them together um and makes them navigate each other and i mean she, oh god she's so fucking good she's good so idea. fucking good yeah so she, so she comes on at 18 creating mm-hmm. doujinshi so creating self-published comics that she's literally xeroxing and selling uh and and uh some of the other another artists like no seriously you, you you need to come and do this professionally this is this this is mm-hmm. a, we want to publish you that was 75 okay. she goes professional in 78 and her first creation is urasai yatsura which lum. is lum if you see the uh anime character with the little Green animal hair. ears and uh like a, little uh, horns. a, a tiger stripe tiger stripe bikini tiger stripe bikini that's the character that's that's her character uh and it's been that character in that that series has been popular ever since uh she then the next year after that creates my son ikoku which is also wait my- wait wait i have to go back to lum because one oh. of my favorite things about lum or the urusai Atsura, is what she does is that usually you have a male character in a trope who relentlessly pursues a very unwilling female character. And in Urusai Atsura, what she does is Lum, who's the main character, is an alien from another planet. And she relentlessly pursues this very unwilling man. And it is, she like literally came out the gate like, fuck your gender roles. And Mm -hmm. she just went for it. Like, I mean, she's, I love the character. She's disgusting. It's awesome. <laughs> she does such a good job of making her like the equivalent of a womanizer, but opposite. It's right. but yeah. but only for the one guy. Yes. Like will not take no for an answer, like showing her tits. Like, I mean, just mm-hmm. it's so funny to see. And she's a female artist mm-hmm. subverting this. Like, oh, it's so good. So it, good. And, and this is kind of an this is kind of a, a theme to a lot of her work is how much that it is written by a woman in a society that is very chauvinist to the uh, mm-hmm. uh, that um, 
does have extremely strong, very gendered expect, uh, social expectations. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, although uh, the uh, 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 shoujo manga are for women and predominantly written by women, unlike America where all the writers are men, here it's gendered. Women are writing mm -hmm. for women and men are writing for men. Uh, so she's working with other writers, but business is owned by men. And mm -hmm. what her writing is really about is those gender roles and mm -hmm. societal expectations and uh, predominantly a giant middle finger point in both. Yeah. Um, My Sandikoku, another, uh, not only is it a, uh, uh, yes, it is. Not only is it a, is it just, you know, straight up a, a shoujo, uh, you know, female directed uh, story, yeah. romance story. It's like the best, like full on mm -hmm. in all the years since then, nobody's topped it. You're done. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that's like, that's 1980. Okay. It's really lovingly done. It's very heartbreaking. More than a couple of occasions. Oh, but yes. it's beautiful because oh, yeah. she's, telling the story of a widowed character you don't often see a widowed character let alone a widowed protagonist right who is so developed and such a strong character who you end up relating to so much like i remember her i do i vaguely remember the guy vaguely um and she does a really good job of storytelling her deceased partner and she never shows his face but you learn, you feel the love for this character despite never knowing what he looks like. You never know what he looks like. Which is better than if you he if she showed yes. up. Yes, right. because it's just it doesn't matter. It's her memory, and right. like that's what the male protagonist is coping with, right? Like he doesn't know what this guy looks like, and it's... he's having to to learn this other man through her and her memories and her stories. It's just. Fuck, I cried so hard reading those books. They're so fucking good. Yes. If you oh, pick yes. up any of hers, pick up that one. Well, I'm going to bring up my my personal favorite, which is um, not uh, a heartbreaking uh, tale, uh, but Ronma? goes the opposite direction. Yes. I love Ranma too, but I'm just saying. It's like <laughs> how many novels? Yes, but uh, 1987, she wraps up Ursula Yatsura and My Sonokoku. Her publisher says, hey, you know, listen, um, you've been like hitting the balls out of the park uh, on the, uh, 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 you know, for the, uh, uh, for the shoujo stuff. Can you do something that is like straight up shonen or at the very least kind of like crossover appeal a little bit? Because um, we're making a lot of money, but there's a lot over there too. Can, can you come up with something that, that would appeal to the guys? And um the Encyclopedia Galactica uh, has fallen through the warp, and we've looked at under the uh, uh, term "gone horribly right," mm -hmm. and that's the definition of uh, what happened here with Ranma One Half. She succeeded. She succeeded so hard. So hard. Ah. Oh my God! Uh, I I can't even begin to tell you how hard. Uh, see, nine years of manga. Uh, two TV series, three films, 11 OVAs or original video animations, a live action movie, 15 video games, 
But okay, this is the story she tells. Really good. Satomi Ganma is the worst parent in, the, in all of fiction, barring perhaps uh, the dad in um, uh, uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion. He takes his five-ish-year-old boy on a 10-year training trip, wandering the earth like Kane Kung Fu. Kid gets no schooling, no peers for more than a year, just ludicrous, dangerous, painful martial arts training. During this time, he sells his child repeatedly, mostly to arrange marriages, but a couple times just for food. After all, the kid needs to learn to fight his way out of it. So, you know, good training. And two pickles. And two pickles. What a peach of a man. Yeah. Um, along the way, he also wraps the kid in meat, drops him into pits of starving cats repeatedly for days in order to train him. <clears throat> Uh, yes, yes, this was a comedy. Um, I know you're thinking to yourself, God, this sounds hysterical. Uh, we'll get there. Anyway, he drags his now 15-year-old son to a place called Jusenkyo, legendary training ground of Cursed Springs. Since he doesn't bother to read Chinese, and he's in China, he doesn't uh, read the warning signs that say, don't go here, this is cursed. Sure. And um, yeah, everybody who falls into one of these uh, pools of water uh, comes out with a curse. The curse is that you get wet, you turn into your cursed form, you get hit with hot water, you turn back into your normal self. Well, uh, the actual story starts with a big panda bear carrying a little tiny redheaded girl across uh, Tokyo uh, as she's struggling to get away. And it turns out that um, now that his son turns into a girl, he's trying to marry him off really fast to one of his buddy's three daughters that he's never met. Hmm. Uh, the buddy is uh, also a charmer and a peach, but not as, not nearly as bad as again, but no one is. Uh, it That's takes a, a while. low bar. It's a really, really low bar. It takes a while. Eventually, again, owns up to the fact that his wife is wandering around with an odashi, giant sword, and a seppuku pledge that says, Genma's son, the girl must become a man amongst men in his mother's eyes, or his mother will demand that father and son kill themselves. The son is Sautme Ranma, the eponymous Ranma of Ranma one-half, because, see, he's half boy, half girl. Okay, that's the setup. The actual story is a love dodecahedron. I mean, it's the reason why that, that trope exists in TV tropes. It is sheer chaos. Oh, it's epic. Ranma, I remember it. It sounds like French farce. <laughs> To be honest, oh, it's got an awful lot to go with that. Yeah, okay. uh, Ranma's unwilling fiance Tendo Akane is a talented tomboyish martial artist with an entire cast of abhorrent admirers. She and she can hates, kick his ass. She kicks his and everybody else's. Um, yeah, but she it's is amazing. Oh yes, yeah, yes. Uh, Ranma's best oldest buddy wants to kill him and is now Akane's new stalker. Another old friend was promised Ranma as her husband, and she's back to collect a. Juketsuzoku Amazon from China is now pursuing Rama to marry and or kill him. Depends. Is that shampoo? Shampoo. Oh, uh, I love her. By the way, if you, Damien, Damien, have you seen Ranma? No. No. There are so many puns. You've got to find this in manga form because it is epic level puns. Okay. Um, shampoo is a great example of some, some very pointed puns. Um, shampoo, is one, there's the gag that mm -hmm. all of the Chinese characters have hair product names. Shampoo, Kulon, uh, um, uh, Mutsu, pronounced as the same way that you would, uh, that a Japanese person would pronounce the Japanization of English words, shampoo, cologne, mousse. Gotcha. Um, so there's the gag that way, but the sounds are actually appropriate for Chinese. Mm -hmm. Shan, Pu, Mutsu, 
you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then the their kanji that are used to create those, and so the kanji that are written for shampoo mm-hmm. uh, translate depending on which way you write them as uncut gem because mm-hmm. she is kind of a gem in the uh, diamond of the rough, or mountainous breasts. She's got very large titties. Yes. Okay. And Buxom, so there's and she, they're Buxom always last. out. They're always, always they're out. always there. And. Ranma, for example, is written by uh, two character sets that, uh, depending on how you write, well, or I should say the sound, Ranma, can be written two ways. One way would be the the characters which would mean wild horse or wild orchid. And everybody gets who's trying to write down his name gets introduced to him when he is in a girl's body, and they immediately proceed to write wild orchid because, of course, that's what they would name Flower. their daughter. Okay. And so it's all there's always the and then there's always the the very embarrassed no it's the other one. Um uh so there's a lot of these um uh a word a lot of wordplay. Akane, uh, the Akane Tendo, the the very angry tomboyish martial artist fiance. Mm-hmm. Akane means red and <laughs> specifically it is the uh uh the dye of red that you it's called matter red. And yes, that pun is in English, because this is kind of one of the things she does is the puns cross language barriers, but you have to know all of them to get it. Right. It's, it is really hard to, to follow some of the wordplay because it, it is so deep into, Mm -hmm. yes, into this, but all throughout this is body farce. Like as you mentioned, the French, French, uh, uh, French uh, farce. uh, French first, but you know the the swinging doors in the bedroom kind of comedy. Right. Uh, it is this massive martial arts insanity kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, played for laughs with a, uh, a a romance dodecahedron of everybody. If, if Jackie Chan did a sex farce kung fu movie, okay, I would pass. I could see that. I but would. Like, I would. I would shell out dough. Because on top of all of this that she's got going on, mm-hmm. which her continuity, stunning, and continuity on and the art, top is of it, yeah. But she's also actively dismantling gender roles because you've got this character who is biologically male cursed to turn into a female, and he's treated by characters differently based on what role right. he's in, especially when they're meeting him for the first time. Sure. Ryoga, I think at first, if I'm remembering correctly, mm-hmm. I feel like he's very nice to him yes. because he's in female form. And then all of a sudden he realizes like, oh, you're that motherfucker. And as soon as he goes back <laughs> into his male form, it's like murder time. But then it's really funny because you get to see these double standards where the same person yeah. Is treating him completely differently based on how his gender is presenting. On top and, of it, Akane, because she's such a tomboy, also gets treated by Rama at times, who's experiencing this firsthand. He still does some sexist bullshit, and then she just turns around and kicks his fucking ass. And it's just like, it's amazing how she's creating this very clear message. And, about you know vendor expectations oh yeah. right and, and ronma's behavior changes because he starts yeah. out he starts out raised by his dad and being mm-hmm. at just as misogynistic as his father to be perfectly honest yeah. uh he's just an honorable person so he doesn't take that misogyny and use it as a tool as a weapon yeah. but he just 
believes in other people being less because well you're just a girl and although yeah. he now turns into one and um he starts off with um being angry about this being upset about this this curse he has mm-hmm. and um being like reluctant to change being like reluctant the worst ch- thing in the world when he changes and when he does demanding that he be a a boy they be male mm-hmm. despite being extraordinarily female in his female curse mm-hmm. form right. and uh as he progresses he learns to start treating all the other women like they're just as um competent capable dangerous uh driven as he is just as serious martial artists as serious people and he starts to treat his female form like his form he actually starts changing how he dresses to where he uh starts with um uh uh trying to get his way, you know, d- dressing up to um, play a trick on somebody to try, try and find the cure for his curse or to uh, mm-hmm. sneak extra food or something. Because uh, again, dad was training him by starving him and, you know, you've got to find your own food. So, uh, you know, it starts with that, but it leads to just kind of like, oh yeah, we're having a dance. I'm dressed in the ball gown. Yeah, sure. That's mm-hmm. legit. Because uh, I look good like this. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, there's a couple other things that are really interesting. There's some very specific secondary characters. There, he's got an old buddy who's a um, a chef, and the old buddy went to a boys' school with him, and and so he's like, "Buddy," and the buddy's like, "I'm going to kill you." And the he they figure out uh, the the buddy's actually a, a girl dressed in in. In, in men's clothes mm-hmm. <clears throat> and had been promised to be his fiance. And uh, uh, so there is that character. Then we get introduced to this very frilly girl, female character who's chasing the, uh, the, the, the uh, female chef who's dressed as a boy mm-hmm. and um, pursuing intensely. And they get to the, 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 uh, the dinner moment where Akane and Ranma, the, the two protagonists are like, Oh, this is going to go horrible. And it's revealed. Okay, I don't think you understand. That's not a boy. That's that's actually a girl. And the uh, the 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 girl in the frilly dress is like, well, yes, I I know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm a I'm a boy. I, right. And and the two characters who were cross dressing were just like, yeah, we both knew this. You were the only people here who were confused and were running around back and forth were you two morons. Right, right. Uh, anybody else, any shitty person would have made this the, oh, the you think it's the girl, but it's actually a boy. Surprise joke. I mean, you can picture that on Friends. That's mm-hmm. That, that would have been mm-hmm. the joke. This is 87, 88, 89, and she's writing this where, no, the joke is on the heteronormative couple who don't realize that they're on the outside looking in and they think there's this whole thing going on and they're just completely effing clueless. Um, yeah. Now so this, this author, this, she's, this yeah. is all self pub or is this all done through a publishing that one, house? That one was done through the publishing house. So yeah, she this initially is, started okay. doing fan comics and then she has since been constantly, um, 
published through Publishing House because of her success. She's and, really, really engaging storyteller. She's really, I, really good. Mm-hmm. I don't know what has happened since the uh, uh, since the pandemic, but pre-pandemic, she was the richest woman in Japan. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the only reason I think why Ranma is not uh, already on Netflix in season seven is because she doesn't need the money. And uh, if any of us tried messing with it, probably they, they do it terrible. Um, so yeah, I'm not going to let you. But it is. Yeah, but insane. she's really, really well known for it and subverting uh, the genres and subverting these gender rules and like doing it in such a where it's not the butt of the joke. The the, the gender is never the butt of the joke. Right, like, it's not the punchline. No, yeah. it, right. it never punches down on the identity. And it really shows characters navigating identity. And, and growing. In a and, really caring way. Yes. And, and and it's got a lot of characters who don't. Who, who the, it, it, Every time they've got the younger characters who um, have their life ahead of them and have a chance to... Mm-hmm grow up to be a real person who doesn't suck mm-hmm. um there is a commensurate <laughs> adult who is an epic fucking failure at this and yeah. so there's there's the uh mom who uh Ranma's mom has this uh insanely old-fashioned gender role uh gender ideal where uh one of her upsets about her son is her son doesn't uh, uh break into girls locker rooms to peek at them and steal their underwear mm-hmm. Because yeah. that's that's manly. That's boys do that. That's men do that. That's what you should be doing. Is you should be a sex a sex criminal. That that would be yeah. legit. Um, and it's really amazing because like she's actively like getting storylines where she's showing these very traditional misogynistic chauvinistic ideals, and she's just like, no, actually, this kind of fucking sucks. Yeah. And, and here and- is my thesis on why. <laughs> and then she just she just makes it a story that's really engaging where younger readers in particular aren't necessarily going to realize that they are processing things that are going to have them unlearn some really toxic shit. Now, question, Tessa, do you want to go through the other things that are going on in, in, oh, at this time, actually, or do you want to go through the yeah, fanfic well, of this? Since you're talking about the fact that she's creating this series to kind of mesh shoujo and shonen and starting to boil those lines i will bring in banana fish um because it blends both bananas and fish very no <laughs> um akimi yoshida she um creates this graphic novel starting in like in 1985 um that goes till the 90s um specifically focused on um psychohallucinogenic drugs being used for a military weapon. Um, wow. Basically using psycho manipulating, like psychohallucinogenic drugs, giving them to soldiers to cause them to basically be mind controlled and become killing machines. Um, and what she does is she creates a story of this kid in New York whose brother goes to serve in Vietnam and when his older brother comes back from Vietnam he's a shell of himself and it's because he's taken this psychohallucinogenic uh, this an experimental drug called banana fish and so mm-hmm. this kid whose name is Ash 
can't think of his last name right now. Um, but the main character, his name is Ash. And um, he becomes obsessed with finding out who created banana fish that broke his brother like this. Um, and he basically wants to kill him. And so he gets involved in these gangs in New York um, mm-hmm. in order to get to the bottom of this. Sure. And what then winds up happening is that this um, young Japanese boy named Eiji um, goes with his mentor. He's learning how to be a journalistic photographer and they come to do an article on the gangs of New York. And in doing so, Eiji and Ash meet. And um, it's there's a lot of subtext of romance between these two characters, um, but it's not in a traditional shonen or shoujo sense. Um, where it's more written towards women. It's very shown in art style. It's very gritty, very harsh lines, um, mm-hmm. lots of hatching, like ink. Um, and it's really violent. Like it's incredibly violent. But there is all this intimacy that's played, mm-hmm. um, that's alluded to subversively. Um, and it has become pretty well known for it. They actually recently animated it i want to say in like 2013 and i don't have a good therapist yet so i'm not going to subject myself to watching that (laughs) because i know how it ends and it's (laughs) gut-wrenching but it's a wonderfully done story with all of these shonen art aspects that are telling a story that you would more likely see added into the shoujo style um and it's just it's really really well done and it that same kind of thing too where it's mm-hmm. exploring what is intimacy what is emotional connection and right. all while telling this incredibly gritty violent tragic story um of these drugs being used to create super soldiers um and create them into shells of human beings um, and so she does it in a much more gritty, not funny, soul-wrenching, destructive kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, it's really neat to see this happening in that like 80s era, the late 80s, early 90s, where you see traditionally shoujo artists start to do things in the shonen art style and take things from shonen storylines and mesh them together, um, which is what happens with fake as well. Um, and another artist by the name of uh, Sanami Mato. And I'll get to that later because I could go forever on that one, but that's going to be the doujinshi tie-in. Okay. So just to kind of, kind of loop us back around, we, we have um, all of this going on within the, within the genre of manga at, Mm -hmm. at this time and all this work going on. And and what is what is the influence of that on the movement, as it were, of fan fiction, either either in Nihon or here in the United States? This is where it's in actually. Oh no, go for it because oh, I can oh. I can tie in mine, but I can go for it. it. No, go for it. I was going to say on. one of the things that we start to see, and this is again from the gay agenda lens. Um, Generally, a lot of censorship is happening um, in these published, by publishing house um, comics. And so storylines have certain censorships that are happening. And again, the artists are being kind of like, they're working with these 
magazines or these these comic issues that serially run um, various chapters of their comics of what's going to happen, right? So they have to get it approved and things like that. But what you'll start seeing is published, like mainstream um, manga artists doing doujinshi of their own work. So they'll take, take the characters that they are serializing with these publishing companies and they will self-publish side stories that mm-hmm. a publishing company wouldn't necessarily run. And so they're able to do different aspects of the story or go deeper with the story um, because they're not costing their publisher anything, but they don't have to go through that potential censorship or changing of the story that they want to tell. Um, And so I'll go to like Tsunami Mato, for example. Um, So she starts as like a shoujo artist um, really flowery kind of Sailor Moon kind of style. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's telling a story of two cops, which if you have that in super flowery Sailor Moon, it's kind right. of weird looking, yeah, right? Yeah, like, it's definitely out of type. A little strange. And mm-hmm. um, it's like in the early 90s. And so it's two NYPD cops and people they work with and stuff. Mm -hmm. And the art style initially starts very shoujo, very four girls. Mm -hmm. And her art style starts to shift pretty heavily. Um, There's speculation as to why it could potentially be that because of the type of story that she's telling, utilizing a shonen style or leaning more into a shonen style would make more sense. But then she does other stories where the style changes that, that aren't that are still fall into the shoujo category. Um, and so the style starts to blend shonen and shoujo. It's still definitely not like super like mecha, whatever, like what you would expect to see. It's not very harsh, but it's also not mm-hmm. very soft. And so she's creating this story um, that has a bisexual character, specifically labeled bisexual character. Mm-hmm who identifies as bisexual and says it repeatedly, which I'm just going to plug this right now. That was my first bisexual character, like Mm. seeing the word in print, like, oh, so that's like kind of different. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you still have like a whole bunch of gratuitous violence and and things like that. But then um, because it's not an American publishing, there are, um, storylines too kind of talking about um implicit bias where um a black character a black father um Mm -hmm. has to identify the body of his daughter who has been killed by a serial killer um and he lashes out at the two main characters um because the way that his daughter's body was autopsied and they literally have a conversation about the fact that there are cops who are terrible to people mm-hmm. because of their race. Like literally start talking. And that's like in 1996. Um, we start see, yeah, I, I know. I was like, whoa, rereading mm-hmm. it. But her story is very methodical in the published one. And it's very like focused on 
whatever case it is that they're working on. And the, the romance is kind of like a subversive thing. And there's not a lot of emotional discussion. There's a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically one of the things that she does in her story that stands out so significantly, which bringing it back to, you can kind of start to tell a queer creator versus a pet creator. Sure. Um, she's got this character who's doing the trope of kind of being obnoxious hitting on the other guy like he's pretty gross right but there comes an opportunity where the not as engaged um character is very emotionally vulnerable and goes through an incredibly traumatic experience at which he is willing to just submit the gross character literally slaps him across the face and says i no, I will not take advantage of you and breaks that trope that we would usually see go a right. very specific way. Right. Was, that's that's hint number one. It's like, ooh, oh, there's there's some emotion here. Look mm-hmm. at that. Humanity. What? But then she starts to create Dojinshi of these characters. And she starts to focus more on the romance and the emotional growth. And these conversations that can't happen in this published thing because it talks about things like identity and coming to terms with your identity or processing your identity. Um, one of the characters fosters a child. Um, and that child gets into a fight in the doujinshi, the self-published comics, gets into a fight with another kid who's doing homophobic slurs or whatever to another and it winds up with him going to his foster father who's in a queer relationship and saying, how did you know? Mm-hmm. How did you know you were queer? And there's a deep conversation that happens about identity and understanding that. And this kid is like, well, what if I am? And like, there's a whole that's real deep. Right. There's an exploration with like some, of that. Mm-hmm. yeah and it's one of the that's one of the things that made me go oh you you get this right you you've been there this isn't and your dress. you're you're not doing anything yeah. for shock factor mm-hmm. and it, it's really yeah. beautiful it's beautifully done because you not only have a queer main character you have a queer main character who has a child right who's having this conversation with their child in a very frank and open manner mm-hmm. and then it ends with like some stupid joke about boobs or whatever. Um, because like we got we got break up how fucking serious it got. Sure. But that's a side published comic that you usually wouldn't see because of that depth of storytelling specifically mm-hmm. related to homosexual relations. And so. so it's it's neat because what you've got is it's it's their own version. They're doing fan fiction, but 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 it's not it's it's within the category of fan fiction right. like it's labeled as fan fiction because it's self-published but it's 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 canon and, and is the... it canon that's that was a question i was going to ask is 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 one of the exclusionary mm-hmm. features of of canon like being used yeah. here or is this uh because the laws it's, are different it's different or no it's fascinating because what so for Sanami Mato in particular she will reference things that she's done in her doge and she there was a running joke about oranges and smelling oranges and I couldn't understand it until I read the doge and she and I was like you motherfucker 
she made a joke about an intimate scene but that mm -hmm. talks about emotion by referencing a little thing in it with Mm -hmm. the scent of oranges and she'll do that she'll reference Mm -hmm. these outside comics so that you will go and look for it 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 was hilarious because i had to look my husband in the eyes and go i have just purchased so many porn comics and I'm going to say words that no one actually ever gets to say. It's for the plot. Hmm. So, people people get to say it, but yeah. but people don't get to be taken seriously when they do. Oh, was, see, I have sticky notes and all kinds of things. So it was like annotated. And it was I great, bet Because every are. now and then you would just hear me go, God Damn it. And I'd have to like go back and try and figure it out or just go because I would realize like the really long one was actually like directly connected to the chapter in the other book. And just, yeah, it's so, just me and Google Translate. So they and the publishing houses are cool with this or did they just not look that closely? Because of these laws for uh-huh. like fair use, pretty much, um, unless they can prove that it's a impacting their sales negatively yeah in fact it's increasing their sales right because she's creating these side comics right and if somebody wants to know what it's about they're gonna purchase it yeah and then i'll throw uh, uh, uh the other direction for um mm-hmm. uh fan created fanfic um so that the, uh the reason i went to run my one half that ended the the manga series ended twenty seven years ago and high ed world. Yeah, um, well, Damien loves to point that out to me. Basically, every episode at least once. So, yeah, well, yeah. so I do not disagree yeah. with you. Uh, twenty seven <laughs> years ago, and there's still a a thriving community of people writing Ron and Half fanfic today, and 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 they've been. I remember seeing how incredibly engaged they were in the 90s and coming back in the uh, uh, 2000s and the 10s, they're still going. And um, But I noticed that the, uh, the writing was changing. Uh, it was uh, morphing uh, very clearly. There was a, a direction. And... I thought it was at first. I didn't really notice it because you know, cis hat white guy. I'm you know oblivious in my little freaking bubble, but I spotted that the the pattern was pretty straightforward. The um, earlier versions of of the of uh, the fanfic for Ron Mo and Half were, generally speaking, genre shifting. A lot of genre shifting. A lot of hey, this is a. Uh, what if Ranma was, you know, his wandering martial artist, he wanders into this other story or revisionist. Oh, I, I hated this bit. How about if, you know, he doesn't end up with her, he ends up with her, those kind of things. And that started changing to some substantial recontextualization. And the ones that I noticed were th- that there were actually very specific um, writers who clearly had some very um, personal experience with mm-hmm. gender nonconformity of one type or mm-hmm. another. And Ranma provided both a 
structure in which to have that conversation as well as, and I didn't realize just how important this was until I saw this community form around there, an audience with whom to interact and engage because there were a lot of people who are and still are huge Ron Mo and half fans and all of them, regardless of whether or not they are gender conforming or non-conforming, are fans and are familiar with these characters and understand that they change genders and have these gender issues. And there were all of a sudden starting to see more and more and more works of people talking about not just the gender shifting and, and the gender politics that that uh, had been kind of more and, and social roles that had been uh, 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 Takashi Umiko's uh, focus. And we're now talking about the inner life, the the difference between gender presentation and gender identity. And does sexuality have an impact on gender identity? Um, does me finding myself to be female or, or have female attributes mean I am now also I'm attracted in, to men? Right. Yeah. I mean, just all these things going on that were not, that were implicit in the original, but were not explicit ever. And they're now very explicit and very touching and moving and meaningful. And because of the modeling, also frequently married to some really funny, really uh, 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 clever writing. I mean, it's just really, really good. And uh, it's not disappearing into a hole. Um, it's really easy for someone to say, I am a creator. Here's my creative product. And they put it out there and um, there's like five people who realized that was really good. Uh, I'd like to point out that Confederacy of Dunces, uh, the award-winning novel that uh, was never published in the in the writer's lifetime. Uh, a few other writers. We go down a long list of writers. This is the case. But with fanfic and with the recontextualization of existing stories, there is this place to see the story grow into something different and uh, have people actually interact, engage, and talk, and talk back with, with the writers. That's kind of one of the things that is pretty spiffy. Is, it used to be that, you know, you might maybe meet somebody at a, at a con and be able to say, oh, you wrote that or you've read this too. With the rise of the internet, we're now all there and people are talking and you actually hear back from people. And I think that's a very important thing. Yeah, it seems like too. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, go for it. No, go for it. Oh, I was just going to say it seems like um the, the there's an old saying of an artist never finishes their work, they abandon it. Um and it seems <laughs> <laughs> it seems like with the advent of the internet specifically uh coalescing with fanfic that that abandonment doesn't have to happen for those who don't want to. For those who do, I can see them getting intensely frustrated with, what are you doing? I already killed, uh, you know, Annie. Why are you bringing her back? Uh, misery is dead. Uh, the whole thing is over. Let this man stop breaking his ankles. They that? could have the whole of England in black publicly mourning the loss of the pub. I was like, it could be worse. Could yeah. have the whole of England dressed in black publicly mourning the fictional character that you have tried to kill to the point that you get peer pressured into bring that motherfucker back. A little Arthur Conan Doyle there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Arthur Conan Doyle has entered the chat. Yeah. 
I'm telling God you. Damn it. Never going to get out of that, man. Yeah. No. But what about Brigadier Gerard? We don't care about Brigadier Gerard. He's a goddamn frog. I'm just saying, like, yeah. it could be worse. Like, they can get yeah. pissed about the fan fiction, but you could literally have public upheaval. Yeah. Well, right. to to his credit, Conan Doyle was like, hey, you know what? As long as the check's clear, fine. I'll write him. Like, it pisses me off, but I have right. a lavish lifestyle to support. So, you know. And spiritualism to keep trying to prop up. <laughs> uh, you can find more of that in episodes 138 and 139 uh, of, of our podcast. Oh. So. No, go for it. Oh, I was just gonna say, uh, you, I, I'd broken in right when you were. So go ahead and make your point. I've, I've I gotten my gonna, question in. I, mean, I was just gonna tie it back to fan fiction one other way too, which is mm-hmm. that you have a really unique thing in Dojinshi. Um, not only do you have a bunch of people who are not professional artists creating these, professional artists will actually make Dojinshi of um, other comics by other artists. Um, and they will create their own stories of these people's characters. Um, Sanami Mato, who I'm gonna keep talking about because she's a huge influence on my style, um, and myself as an artist in general. But um, upon finding that she was doing these doujinshi, she has done them for like three different series that are not hers. <laughs> hmm. Um, she did one for one called Black X Blood, um, or she's done a couple of them for that. She's also done a couple for One Piece which is a fairly well-known, yeah. She yeah, has done Dojinshi. Right. Even yeah, I've she heard has done Dojinshi for it. Um, and she has also done Dojinshi of a, I haven't seen it yet, but I've been told that I need to watch it. I think it's called Tiger Bunny. And it's like superheroes, kind of. She's done a couple of that one, um, which I think is on Netflix. So I don't really have an excuse not to watch it. But she's done Dojinshi of the characters of other artists. And there's actually one, it was a, another older um, comic called Gravitation. And um, she was invited by that artist who was creating a doujinshi of their own characters, um, Murakami Maki. Um, they created, she created art for that other artist for their doujinshi, like they would collaborate. Mm-hmm. So you've got this really cool thing of professional artists um, publishing comics mm-hmm. that are fan comics of somebody else's work right and it's just really neat to see because you don't often get to see that uh sure the the book carry on that i am in the fandom of they it, it's very much like you can read it and you'll be like mm, this feels a little harry pottery little harry potter fan fictiony um but she's very aware of fan fiction and so like it really encompasses it and there's all of these you know aspects that are like kind of dismantling harry potter which is mm-hmm fucking rad but like to see it because with the art right when you create those characters and you draw those characters to have these artists just coming out and be like fuck it i'm drawing so and so shit like it's right so cool to see and it's something that you just don't you don't get to see it the same with like novelization like you'll know something based on a fanfic like the Oh, was that terrible fucking Raylo fic that got turned into some garbage Title Nine abomination of a f- novel alley something? I'm or, not kidding. It's a know, Raylo don't, fic. Don't hold back. You know, if you if you have some feelings, you Sorry, should probably. I, explain, I literally, I literally, I literally saw it, and I was like, "That's a, that's like literally a Title Nine HR violation. Like, why is she not fired?" It made me really <laughs> angry. 
Um, I, 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 I am very much the, I don't do non-con, non-consensual anything. It makes oh. me pissed off. Anytime it gets yeah. romanticized in any kind of thing, I'm just like, <sighs> yeah. but it was a Raylo fic that got Never mind. turned into a romance novel with different names. What uh, is a Raylo fic? Kylo Ren and oh, okay. Ray. Okay. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Terrible. It's not, yeah. it's not good. It went viral and it, it's not oh, good, gosh. but like. They have to change the name, whereas right. like these comic artists can just be like, "Fuck it, I'm drawing so and so characters, however I want," and then they just do. Sure, <laughs> and it's incredible. Well, and it so, sounds yeah. like it sounds like it it's it's there's a there's a community of artists who have the opportunity to engage in joy mm-hmm. with like this is so cool. I want to, I want to do this. And because of the difference in legal structure and I'm going to say Blackwell wasn't Japanese. Yeah. Edmund yeah. Burke was not Japanese. I mean, that's really yeah. what it comes down to. Yeah. Pretty uh, much. Like, well, yeah. I found a place to fish, so this must be mine now is yeah. not manifest destiny wasn't a thing <laughs> i would be curious to see if yeah. there's any like i knew uh fanfic um you know the indigenous folks uh in north of in the north of japan if i recall correctly like if there's yes. any kind of now. fanfic communities um that oh. come out of that community um and and i i have several other questions about uh various groups and and if and when they access the fanfic but i think that'll have to be in a different episode <laughs> Yeah, we right? we have we have run up against the the only real limitation on our conversations, which is time. It's actually data space, to be perfectly. Yeah. Honest. Well, okay. Yeah. Granted, <laughs> but yeah. but they 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 are synony- they are synonymous largely. They are indeed. so. They are indeed. And you thought this was only going to be two episodes? <laughs> go go men Nasai. I'm very sorry. <laughs> Um, so, uh, I, I, I'm worried that I stepped on either of those points. So if anybody needed to finish off what they were saying, Ed, did I jump in on? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm good. No, I'm good. Okay. I already fucking forgot what I was talking about. So you're good. Um, okay. So then, uh, let's see the, the, neither of you want to be found online, which is totally fair, but I would like to hear from you, uh, recommendations that you want people to go and check out. So uh, we'll start this time. Tessa, we'll start with you. I feel like I talked about it enough. Um, I would recommend checking out Tsunami Mato's work. Uh, she's got a couple of fake, which is my personal favorite. Um, definitely try to get the newer translation because whoever did the translations in the 90s hasn't aged well. Um, but I do recommend that series. And I also recommend um, her gender exploratory one called full moon or before the full moon and until the full moon good luck finding them but if you can find them i do i do recommend okay how about you sean what are you recommending well uh i'm going to do two because you know might as well if you go dig up gossamer that's the old uh uh archive for x-files fanfics that had been published in uh use groups which mm-hmm. apparently we will discuss shortly yes i know old 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 man uh there is a story there called oklahoma and um 
a couple of artists. Uh, I will uh, just use their pen names of uh, Amperage and Livengu, uh, who are good friends of mine. And um, this is truly very, very, very good art. And it is also really painful to read. Uh, I will, it's definitely one of those, it will destroy you, you'll be in tears, but uh, it's very good X-Files uh, fanfic there. And just because um, I can't leave everybody with the absolute biggest downer I can find, um, I would also recommend uh, uh, checking your favorite places on the internet, uh, specifically for Star Wars Revisited. Uh, there is a wonderful fan editor called Adiwan who has created the definitive version of both uh, Star Wars New Hope and uh, Empire Strikes Back. They are phenomenal fan works, uh, different from fan fiction, but they are, well, videos rather than just text. But um, if you saw the uh, special editions and thought, mm, not that special, uh, these are amazing. They, he actually refilmed parts of the Hoth battle in the snow with the uh, 501st and, and, and Rebel Legion. Um, created a, a, an entire uh, uh, echo base in miniature form about six feet long to, to refilm the, the matte plates. Uh, true, I mean, it, it is not your usual. Uh, and it is phenomenal. So I, I would heartily encourage you to locate either one's uh, uh, Star Wars Revisited and Empire Strikes Back Revisited. Okay. And I didn't do this, but uh, Ed, what have you gleaned so far? Um, I think the biggest thing that uh, jumps out at me right now is uh, we suffer as consumers of media because of the structure of copyright law. Took mine here in the out. West, because. <laughs> Because there is there is so much cool shit going on right. um, in in parts of the world that aren't ruled by uh, the the lich lord uh, known as Walt Disney and uh, the legacy of of his manipulation of copyright. Right. Because um, well, I mean, we we determined in mm -hmm. I don't even remember which episode it is that that Disney was in fact uh, was it lawful evil or neutral evil? Uh, lawful evil. Lawful evil. Yeah. Um, and I think this kind of just proves it. Yeah. Um, you know, that that we there is so much, like I said before, there's so much joy mm -hmm. that we miss out on because of the rapacious uh capitalization of of everything we want to consume. You know, yeah. it needs to be worth a buck. And like Dude, we we could have we could have all of this wonderful creative stuff going on if we allowed artists to do it, right? Which is so, ironic yeah, because funny. the thing that that they use that the corporations use to defend is that like we you know if you if you if you have people do fanfic stuff if you have people using the intellectual property of others, then you're stealing from artists. And they can't feed themselves. And it's like, well, you know what? The only people making that that case seem to be those who think, A, if I win the game of capitalism, I could also have my boot on someone else's neck. Or B, they already have their boot on all the artist's neck. Yeah. Like pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. It you know, there is there is a thing I'll I'll touch on here. Um, Trent Reznor. Uh, mm -hmm. released an album I think it was called Year Zero and then 
he essentially he left thumb drives in the bathrooms of his shows that had i think all the tracks that he had laid down for all the songs and people found it and they're like oh my god or or, there, or that's how he released the album i can't quite remember okay. there's a couple stories that blend but essentially a whole bunch of fans um made their own mixes and sent them to him and he released an album of that stuff too oh that's cool very democratizing um yeah and that's bitching uh, yeah it's just you know stuff like that like yeah. clearly you can have collaborative good art with the artists yeah and, and have that work like all of that is is very true yeah um and yeah you you absolutely still stole mine of just like but for the fact that our laws are wildly in favor of um of of the people who have already made use of the public well mm -hmm. and yeah. then drew all the water and made their own shit and then they're like yeah. nobody else gets to have access to this well now cuz that wouldn't be fair yeah. to everybody and you're like you son of a yeah like what yeah so cool all right, now, uh, mm. what what would you recommend? Um, I'm going to uh, follow Sean's example. I'm going to give an example of a work of fan fiction. Mm. Um, and this one is, uh, I had to do some hunting around to find it, uh, but it was the first place winner of the 1995 Spooky Awards for Best Sci-Fi Story, Best Horror Story, Best Action Adventure Story and Most Carter-esque Story. Um, Jimmy Carter-esque, and... so there's <laughs> rabbits attacking people and uh, <laughs> a lot of peanuts. Uh, no, um, Chris Carter. Brother making Chris, beer, building Chris, hats for Chris, houses for Chris people. Carter, oh. not Jimmy. Oh. Chris oh. Carter. The the uh, creator, head writer, showrunner uh, for The X-Files. Oh. And the title of the story is Etched. And uh, it is a work by Sean Smith. Um, back a mom, a, yeah. <laughs> 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 um, and so uh, a a a review or a recommendation uh, written by somebody who was part of a fanfic uh, group. Uh, they indicate uh, it contains a genuine and very frightening X file which is also a crossover, but since the author didn't list what explicitly in the headers, I'll let the reader figure it out. Um, and I can, I can personally attest to this one being scary as fuck. Um, even though, even though the, the author, you know, is, is my best friend and told me like, Oh yeah, here's, here's what the conceit is. Um, I went into it knowing that, and it still left me having trouble falling asleep at night. So, um, yeah, that that is my recommendation. Um, so, yeah, check it out. It's awesome. Nice. Thank you, my brother. <laughs> of course. I'm really glad I, I caused you sleepless night of terror. That's good. <laughs> Yeah, well, between that and uh, my singing inflicting... voice, well, okay, yeah, I wasn't going to mention that part, but um, you know, uh, surprising me with Slenderman videos when I wasn't expecting them, asshole. Anyway, whole other whole other thing to talk about. So, um, Damien, recommendation? Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. Uh, as as the only person who never reads fiction in this room, um, and yet we keep coming with stuff that like I have no idea about. I love it. Um, uh, I'm going to recommend a memoir, uh, by someone who made his own fanfic, uh, for many many years, quite successfully. Um, all about me, my remarkable life in show business by Mel Brooks. Um, yeah. Absolutely worth a read. Uh, I read Carl Reiner's book. I've read this book. Um, they oh, just fantastic. So uh, talk about fanfic uh, adding to art and, mm-hmm. and making the world a, a slightly better place. Um, that's there's there's a real art to it. Um, so I strongly recommend that book if you need any kind of grounding. Um, okay. But yeah. So, uh, Ed, where where can you be found? I cannot be found. I, am, I I remain a shadow in the warp. Um, but we collectively can be found at wubba 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 uh, geekhistorytime.com. Uh, can also be found on Twitter as at geekhistorytime. Uh, and you are listening to us as I always say, so you have found our podcast somewhere, either on the Apple podcast app or on uh, Stitcher. Either way, however it is that you found us, please take a moment to give us a five-star review, if for no other reason than having such uh, uh, loquacious and uh, well-educated guests. Um, And then be sure to subscribe. And beyond that, uh, where can people find you? Oh, uh, well, you can find me, let's see, as of this recording, uh, May 5th uh, at Luna's uh, doing a cap- capital punishment. I uh, got one hell of a lineup for that, as well as June 2nd. Uh, capital punishment will be back at Luna's. Uh, both of them in Sacramento, uh, both of them at 8 p.m. Uh, bring $20, $10 for the ticket. The other 10 is for food and merch. Uh, we'll be handing out masks just in case you forgot yours. Stay safe. Uh, please keep everyone else safe and let us make you laugh. So that's that's where you can find me. Uh, so uh, on behalf of A Geek History of Time, uh, Sean and Tessa, thank you guys so much for joining us uh, for the next two episodes as well, at least. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and these last two. So thank you both uh, for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you yeah. very, very much. And uh, yeah, so for Geek History of Time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, keep rolling 20s.